And uh, we are in a brand new series this week called Corner. And I'm excited about it for a lot of different reasons. Uh, I felt like one thing was a lot of, it was fun, it was challenging, uh, very interesting conversations and dialogue that came from that series. Uh, And we'll continue to talk about that, obviously, as the year goes on. But uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Deuteronomy 24. You're probably familiar with that passage. We're going to look at it from a different angle today. The rabbis say that the Torah has 70 faces, which is essentially to say that you can turn the scriptures as many times as you want, and each time you turn it, you find something new. There's something fresh, and it's alive. So why would we start a series called Corner that has kind of this cryptic name, right? And last week we told you this is coming and not really tell you why we were doing that. Well, aside from the brilliant marketing scheme that we try to employ here at at Awaken, you know, we try to tease you, you know, kind of get you interested in what we're talking about. Uh, thinking, hmm, what's corner about? I don't know. That's right where, we've got, right where we want you. Uh, but beyond that, uh, I want to talk to you about money for the next couple of weeks. And I didn't want you, I don't want to scare you away last week by telling you that. I was hoping you'd come so that... Um, notoriously, the church, uh, when, ha- when, when the church has spoken about money uh, in the past, I think we would probably all agree that we've been a part of a situation where that's happened, where maybe it was a little awkward. Uh, or... Uh, you hear people who aren't a part of church or who aren't a part of, you know, don't, don't follow Jesus. And they talk about religion and churches and they often will say that they just, they talk about money all the time and they just want your money. Uh, and so it's a bit of a touchy subject. But truth be told, Jesus talks about money all the time in the scriptures. And so we want to talk about money, yes, but we want to talk about something bigger than that, hopefully in this series. Uh, so Corner is about exploring One of the things that we say we value at Awaken, I don't know if you've rooted around on the website, but there's a a, a spot on there that just has some some words or some concepts that we try to live out as a community. Uh, Some of them would happen to be Jesus, prayer, uh, this idea of being missional in in the world. uh, And this is one of them, being generous. What does it mean to be a generous group of people? Not just with money, but in general. What does it mean to be generous with my life? And so Corner is about exploring that value. It's about asking questions like, what's the best possible way to live in relation to our stuff? Uh, What's the best possible way in relation to the gifts and the things that I'm good at or that you're good at, the passions that lie in your heart? What's the best way to live in light of that? Uh, It's about asking questions like uh, whether money has anything to do with being generous. It's about asking, and ultimately it's about asking and looking at, exploring what I think lies at the very heart and the very life of God. So it's a a real small topic, uh, as you can see, but we want to talk about it in the next couple of weeks. And today I want to get the ball rolling. uh, And uh, to be truthful, we're just going to kind of go as long as we can go here. Uh, I've got a lot to say, and I don't think I'm going to get it all today. So if today ends and you're kind of like, hmm, that's a little interesting, not the best closing illustration I would have picked, that's why, all right? Because I've got more. Don't worry, I've got more. So turn to Deuteronomy chapter 24, and I want to read... Uh, while you do that, I want to read uh, verses 17 to 22. And before we do that, uh, we're going to be in Deuteronomy 24 and then 2 Corinthians 8. We're going to study that the next couple weeks. But I want to preface what I'm about to say with this. Uh, if, you've, if you've seen a, a video called Corner by a guy named Rob Bell, you probably recognize that we've stolen his title. So I want to give credit where credit is due. Uh, I saw this video for the first time, and it totally blew me away, and it opened up a whole new way of thinking about generosity. So I don't want you to think, man, they're totally thieving on his stuff. Secondly, I don't want you to think, um, 
oh my gosh, Rob Bell, whoa, hey, whoa, let's throw some red flags, right? Uh, if you've been listening to the news or you're, you're paying attention to anything that anything evangelical in the last couple of months, uh, I want to just caveat, pause here and say this about Bob Bell and others like him. Uh, here's the deal, friends. There used to be this thing called like two degrees of separation. Have you ever heard of this before? Right? So here's, here's how this works. Dan, he's my friend. And Dan is friends with somebody that we know who's a heretic, right? He has unorthodox belief, and, uh, and so I can't be friends with Dan because Dan's friends with and agrees with so-and-so, right? Have you heard, have you heard this before? This is basically a, a way in which often fundamentalist religious people would distance themselves from people and things that they disagreed with or didn't believe in, okay? So if you believe or if you agree with or hang out with said person, then we can't be friends. We can't have a relationship because I don't agree with what that person says. Now, I'm not going to judge anybody. I'm not going to try to assess anyone's motives. But as a principle, I would like to just tell you that that is ridiculous from Awaken's perspective, from my perspective, Because quite frankly, if you knew everything there was to know about me and my theology, you'd probably disagree with something I had to say. And quite frankly, if I knew everything that there is to know about your theology and what you believed about God, I'd probably disagree with something you said. So it doesn't matter who the person is, there's probably something that you disagree with them about when it gets right down to it. So in principle, it just doesn't work out very well, and it's not very nice, which I don't think Jesus would be about. This whole two degrees of separation. So on the issue of Rob Bell and others who may be controversial in the news, I want to just say, just because we quote somebody, just because we show something, just because we may even use their idea, here's the, here's the, here's the question that we have to ask. Is it true? If it's true, then what does Paul say in uh, all things are yours because you are of God? And or, I can't remember how it all goes. Uh, it's in, uh, I think, Ephesians maybe. Stu, are you here? We're, we're, I'm terrible with, with addresses. Paul says something like, all things are God, and all things are God's, and you are in Christ, and God, Jesus is of God. So essentially, if it's true, then we can say, that's ours. So, when we talk about things like this, or when we take an idea that somebody, that you may hear of in the, in the news media, I want you just to say, is it true? Just because we may disagree with something they say, doesn't mean we, we cast them, that we're the first one to throw the stone, or, or send them out to the edge of the cliff to throw them off, right? Are we all tracking so far? Okay, I just wanted to get that on on the table. Deuteronomy 24, verse 17 says this. Do not deprive the alien or the fatherless of justice, or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is why I command you to do this. When you're harvesting in your field, and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back and get it. Leave it for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord may bless you in the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches for the second time. Leave it for who? This is interactive. The alien, the orphan, and the widow, right? The alien, the fatherless, and the widow. When you harvest your grapes in your vineyards. So you get the idea. The, 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 the passage says to the Israelites in the Old Testament, when you harvest something, when you're in your field and you're harvesting your grapes or your this, that, or the other thing, don't harvest it all the way to the edge. Leave a corner. Leave the part that, that, that isn't ready to be harvested yet and leave it for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. I have three daughters. Many of you know this. And uh, there are often, there are times, a few, seldom, here and there, when I have to speak with a bit of uh, authority, you know, I have to kind of get right in their face and say something, you know, very specifically. And this, I want to give you two examples and two, two things that I think sound very, very differently. First example is this, Lyndon, do not talk to your sister or your friends that way. Second example, Lyndon. 
(laughs) If you continue to speak to your sisters or your friends that way, here's what's going to happen. They're not going to like you. Uh, You're probably not going to have very many friends. Uh, it's, you're, you're going to be thought of as someone who's not very nice, and it's, it's going to be miserable for you in the end. Two very different approaches, right? The first one is, Lyndon, don't talk to your sisters or your friends that way. The second one is, Lyndon, if you continue to do this, here's kind of what's going to happen. Right? You, are you tracking so far? What you just saw was the difference between a command and a warning. Right? In the first one, I command, I say, Lyndon, do not talk, as your father with the authority invested in me by the God of the universe, do not talk to your sister or your friends that way. Period. End. No questions. Or, Lyndon, if you continue to talk to your sisters or friends that way, here's what's going to happen. Here's how this is going to play out. Let me help you sort of navigate the nuances of social culture. Uh, I think when we, get, when, when we picture God and we read a passage like Deuteronomy 24, we, we probably... More often than not, or, or maybe our first move would be that this is a command. This is more of the same that we get from God. Do this, don't do that, uh, or, or else, right? Or else you're going to so on and so forth. And it's, and it's a command. But I wonder if something else isn't going on here. I wonder if something else isn't going on behind the scenes. And may I submit to you this morning that, as we begin this series on generosity, to leave a corner is to live. Let me say that again. To leave a corner... To not harvest the, to the edge of my field as an Israelite, to leave a corner is to live. It's to actually live life. Now, what do I mean by that? When I'm saying this, I'm assuming a couple of very important things. First, number one, I'm assuming that there's a creator. I'm assuming that there's something out there, someone, some essence that has created what we experience here. Number two, I'm assuming that this creator has a purpose for that which he has created or it has created. Uh, so there's a creator, and this creator has made something, and he, and he, she, it has a purpose for this thing. Third, I'm assuming that two, there's two ways to live. One way is to live in accordance with, or in the flow of, or going with the grain of, whatever purpose said creator has made in creation. And the other way would be to go against it, or to live in a way that opposes the, what God cre- uh, intended when he created. You still follow him? So these are a few things that I'm just assuming when I say to leave a corner is to live. And in fact, when we, to carry on in a way that goes against the grain of what God created and what his purpose is in creation is to experience in some way, shape, or form here and now, death, and in some way, shape, or form, death in the future. So to leave a corner is to be generous with what you have and and key in on this, and to participate in the very life of God and the life that God intended for you and I as a human being. So to be generous actually taps into the very nature and the very essence of the God who made this world. Therefore, to not be generous is to go against that. Now, this whole idea of, uh, of, of being generous with everything we have is a little problematic in our culture, in our Western, you know, capitalistic kind of place. Because we would think, here's how this would go for us, uh, as people who are Westerners, you know, bent on capitalism, which isn't a bad thing in and of itself. This land is my land, right? This land is my land, and it's my land. (laughs) I've purchased it with my own money, right? I have the deed for this thing. It's mine. I own it. I own the property. And this, this land is mine. These crops that are, you know, the corn, the grapes, the whatever, they're the work of my hands. These are, these, these are here because of the sweat of my brow. I have labored, I have pulled my bootstraps up, and I have, I have worked hard, and this is the fruit of my labor. 
Uh, furthermore, it's my right then to do with it what I please. If I own this land from a legal perspective, then whatever happens on this land, so far as it doesn't hurt somebody else, is my right. Because it's my land. And the trees that are on my land, I can do with whatever I want. If I want to harvest them all the way to the edge, I can. And why wouldn't I, right? Because profit is king. If, as, if I, why would I leave part of my land if I can actually leverage all of my land and, and harvest it all the way to the edge and then take that to market and sell it for profit? That seems ludicrous. It seems totally counterintuitive. I would submit to you this morning that this idea, this way of thinking is in direct opposition to the biblical teaching about generosity and what it means to be a person who follows God in the world. Bottom line. So what do we do with that? Uh, Not only that, I think God would have a couple of questions to this way of thinking, right? Uh, First and foremost, whose land is this? Remind me, I'm just curious. Whose land actually is this? And the crops are a result of what? Uh, the, 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 who, who brought the rain? Right, this is Job. Who, who, who let the dogs out? Uh, who brought the rain on the field? Who shined the sun? Who made the earth the way it is so that the crops could even grow? Who, who, who? Not you. God did. Yeah, who, who, who? Come on in the back row. Bring it now. Ultimately, who invited you to participate in this good, beautiful world anyways? Right? Your mother said, I brought you into this world. I can take you out of this world. Likewise, I think God would say, I brought you into this world. I can take you out of this world. I don't want to, but I can. So this way of thinking that this is my land, these are my trees, my crops, so on and so forth, I think God would have a problem with that. Let me ask you this. Is there a danger, is there, is there an inherent danger in this way of thinking, like just kind of a subterranean danger that we, that we run the risk of being a part of when we think this way, this idea that this is the work of my hands? Is it possible for us to forget that everything that we have, everything that we have, everything that we experience is a gift? That it's all a gift, from the air that you breathe to the water that you drink to the people that you know, the relationships that you have, the, the ability that you have to make a living. Everything. It's all a gift. And when we don't understand generosity in that fashion, we run the risk of thinking that actually these things are the work of my hands and I had something to do with it. But it's important for us to remember when we take a couple of steps back to just say, hey, you know what? Everything, even though I put effort into this, even though I'm a part of this equation, even though God has invited me to be a a participant in creation, ultimately, it's a gift and it all comes from him. Maybe Deuteronomy 24 is a warning and not a command. Maybe Deuteronomy 24 is not God saying, don't do this as, as from God on high with authority to the Israelites. You may not harvest your field all the way to the edge. Maybe it's not a command. Maybe it's a warning. Israel, let me tell you how this is going to play out. If you fail to be generous with the things that you have, my inclination would be that your heart will shrivel up and it will, it will cease to have the capacity to give and to love. If you fail to be generous, you will begin to think, you you may begin to think that this is actually the work of your hands, and you may begin to think that you don't need what I have to offer as the creator. If you continue to do this, if you cease to be generous, if you fail to be generous, here is how this may play out for you. So maybe it's a warning and not a command. Now, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, if you would. We're going to look at a passage from Paul that he writes to a church in Corinth. 
And uh, let me just give you the background as you turn there. This church, uh, one of the largest churches that Paul spoke of in the New Testament, uh, it is one of the churches that he planted. And there is a church back in Jerusalem that all of these churches kind of come from. Uh, Corinth, Ephesus, the churches in, in, the, in Revelation in the first couple chapters. They're all, basically they're all church plants that, uh, that's, that sort of popped up after the Jews left Jerusalem. After Jesus was dead, crucified, uh, and resurrected, the whole deal. So here we have the Jerusalem church back in, 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 in the home front, or in the home country, and the rest of these churches. And Paul is collecting an offering for the church in Jerusalem. These guys have come upon hard times. In AD 40, there was a major famine, historically, that we know of through biblical, uh, extra-biblical sources and history. There's a major famine, so there's huge pressure on the, Israel, on the Jerusalem church. And anyone, really, politically and socially and economically, it was a tough go. So Paul's going around to all the churches that he planted, and he's going to them and saying, would you, would you pay back into what you've received as blessing from the Jerusalem church? Would you help them in the midst of their need? And so he goes around and he's collecting all this money from the Galatians, the Ephesians, the Colossians, the Corinthians, all these people. And here we get from the Macedonians. Um, Paul's, Paul's bragging about the Corinthians because they've basically said, we want to be a part of this, we want to support this, we want to, we want to invest in this. And so he's bragged about the faith of the Corinthians to other churches around, which makes a little sense when you start to read the text. Meanwhile, this little tiny church in Macedonia uh, shows amazing generosity. So let's read 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1, uh, I think through 9. Now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier, excuse me, made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see also that you excel in this grace of giving. By the way, this is Paul's just deft way of addressing a really, really awkward issue, right? These guys have promised to give money, and somebody's about to show up at their church, and if they're not ready, and they're not, they don't have the things collected and everything, it's going to be super awkward for the Corinthian church. So Paul's like, hey, listen, you guys, you excel in faith and love and hope and all these things. See to it that you also excel in giving. See to it that you live up to what you've promised already, because if not, it's going to be awkward. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Ooh, snaps, right? He basically says, hey, I'm not, I'm not commanding you to do this, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to test your words with the actions of the Macedonians and see how you live up to it. It's like, what I'm going to do this morning, friends. No, I'm just kidding. For you know, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for our sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. What can we learn from the Macedonians and from this text about generosity? I, I want to offer just a couple of thoughts and we'll see how far we get. First, I would say this. It's interesting. It's so very interesting. So very interesting. We're going to talk about generosity. We're going to talk about money. And I want you to know that nowhere in the New Testament, nowhere in the teachings of Jesus, nowhere in the teachings of Paul do you ever find 10% as the norm. Never. Never. Isn't that interesting? 
I grew up in the church, and for the life of me, I can't, I can't count, tell you how many times I heard, if you follow Jesus, you give 10% to the local church. Nowhere in the teachings of Jesus, nowhere in the teachings of Paul, nowhere in the teaching of the New Testament do you find 10% as the norm for the people of God. What the snot? Why? I don't know about you, but when I, found, when I was reading this and studying, I'm like, you've got to be kidding me, right? This is a joke. This is what I've been taught my whole entire life. Why would we teach people that? Because it's really easy, and it's black and white. And I can tell, and you can tell where you stand if you give 10% or you don't give 10%. For you, you feel good if you give 10%. If you don't, you feel guilty. For me, I know who's in, I know who's out, I know who's giving, I know who's not, I know who's this, I know who's that. By the way, I don't know who, who does what. That's, finances are not my deal at this church. But why would we teach people that? Because it's easy. Because it's easy to tell who's in, who's out, and how to measure it, right? We all want that. We want it simple. But nowhere in the teachings of Jesus, nowhere in the teachings of Paul, the only time we even get close to it is Jesus tells the Pharisees, who are, they, they're giving 10% of their spices, their cumin, their dill, and all these other things, but they're lacking, they're forgetting the more important things, which would be mercy and justice, back to our last series. Other than that, nowhere does he instruct his disciples, or churches to follow suit. And it makes perfect sense when you actually think about it. Why would Jesus tell these people, and, and now, knowing what Jesus knew then, if he knew everything, that this would be our text and what we would look at, why would he encourage or make it a command, uh, an Old Testament command that was given to the Levites that was based on an agrarian economy and a theocratic government and then apply it to a local church in 2010? It doesn't make any sense. What am I saying? Is there 10% in the Bible? Yes, there is. In the Old Testament, it was given to the, to the Israelites as a way for them to live and to make sure that the priests were covered and make sure that they had food and all that kind of stuff. But zoom out a little bit here. What does the New Testament, what does the Jesus people, how, what, is, what does the scripture say about generosity and our responsibility in the midst of that? I want to just let you off the hook and say it's not 10%. It's It's... If we, if we narrow it down and we reduce it to 10%, we miss it. Because generosity, you can give 10% and have a really, really ungenerous heart. You can do it out of law and duty and obligation. And what will it be? Law, duty, and obligation. It will not be joy. It will not be generosity. It'll be duty. That's not what Jesus is after. That's not what anybody's after. We have the tax people to do that. Right? The government. We don't need Religious people doing it too. Likewise, may I just say, I don't know if anybody noticed I changed uh, the offering piece a little bit this morning. Um, From here on out, as we talk about what it means to give at Awaken and when we talk about money, we're going to always frame it in terms of generosity. And money is one of the ways that we can be generous with the things that we have. It's one of the ways. And so as we talk about giving to Awaken, we're going to talk about it in terms of generosity. Because what I want for you as your pastor, what I, what I hope, what I pray for, for you and for me, is that our capacity to be generous will grow. Not our dollar amount in the pot. But our ability to be generous. So as we talk about it, that's how we're going to frame it. What else do you think we learned from this group of, uh, of, of the Macedonians in 2 Corinthians? First, I would just start and say there's no, no 10%. So as we talk about this, you've got to frame it differently. You've got to think bigger than 10%, tithe and offering kind of things. Verse 1, 
And now, brothers, we want you to know the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. The grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. I would say that grace and generosity are always connected. When you find somebody who's generous, somebody who lives from a place of just sheer generosity, where they're always giving of themselves, their time, their talent, their their money, all that stuff. When you find it, whether they follow Jesus or not, I would argue that it is always connected to grace. And it's interesting, the word grace in this text can be used a number of different ways. It's, it's used uh, in terms of like spiritual endowment. It's used in terms of uh, human privilege, a word of gratitude. It's used in terms of divine favor or goodwill. But I think you can interpret this a couple of different ways here and be within the realm of reason. First, I would say grace, uh, you, could, you could interpret it as not everybody is given the same graces. This Macedonian church was given a grace by God to give to this church in Jerusalem. Did they have extra to give? The text obviously tells us, no, they didn't. They didn't have a lot of extra going around. But they had a grace. They had a, maybe you could frame it, or say it this way. They had a burden. They had a weight in their heart. They knew that they needed to be a part of this. In fact, they went as far as to say, Paul, don't, don't leave us out of this. Don't leave us out of the privilege of participating in this gift to the Jerusalem church because we have to, because we've been given a grace for it. How many of you have received anything in the mail in the last six weeks, 12, uh, uh, six, you know, six months or whatever, that's asked you for money, uh, whether it's a mission trip or supporting somebody? Anybody just raise your hand. Anybody receive those kinds of emails or letters? How many of you feel guilty when you don't give to them? I do. I feel terrible. I'm the pastor, right? They send it to the pastor and his family, and I'm just like, oh, gosh. You know, (laughs) I got kids, man. Uh, And, you know, so we work through all these different... I went the other way with my hair today. (laughs) I'm just going to get a drink of water here. Got my band pants on, too. Let me just let you off the hook. If you feel guilty about when someone sends you something, can I just frame it this way, maybe? I think that God gives us graces. I think that God gives us a a, a burden, for lack of a better term. It's so negative sometimes. But he gives us a passion for something. And when you get a passion for something, don't deny it. But if you can put your head on the pillow at the end of the night and say, God, I don't sense you giving me a grace for this particular thing, then fall asleep and think not, think not twice about it. Don't feel guilty. And if you're sending out letters to people, if you're asking people to support you, if, and the church has done a really, really bad job at this at times, we make people feel guilty because they don't get involved in said project or said thing, Right? I recognize, and I think we need to recognize more, that sometimes you may not have a grace for that. You may have a grace for something else. We may be doing one thing in hunger, and you may be totally passionate about orphans and caring for little kids. Okay, that's fine. For the next year, we're going to be focusing on hunger, but you can still live with us. We can still be friends, and I'm not going to make you feel guilty because you don't have some burning passion for hunger. Or if somebody sends you a letter and says, I'm going to such and such place, and you just you think, you know what, I just don't have a grace for that. I don't feel in my heart of hearts as I look God in the eye, if I could do that, I can say, I don't feel like you're giving me a grace for that. Can I just say that's okay? And you don't need to feel bad about that. I think that in this text, we see that God gave these people a grace for this particular thing, and they jumped in and they got involved. 
I think you could also say about grace that uh, our ability to be generous is rooted and connected to our understanding of grace. Uh, even people that, that may not follow Jesus, right? Uh, if you find somebody who's, been, who's generous, who just gives, 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 I would submit to you that it's always connected to, they understand what grace is. Their ability to work, they get it, it's a gift. Their ability to make a living, it's a gift. Their ability, they're, they're growing up in this country and not in some other country. That's a gift. Their parents who invested in them and, and cheered them on and said, go for it, you can, do, you can, you can make it. That's a gift. And, and, and it's always connected to grace. If to the degree that we understand grace, I would submit connected to, or maybe not equal to, but it's definitely connected to our ability to be generous, our ability to understand generosity in this way. Lastly, I would say this. Uh, generosity is not dependent upon finances. Look at verse 2. It says, Out of the most severe trial of their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty, it welled up in rich generosity. Vexing text. Did anybody read that and kind of go, hmm, how does that work, right? Out of their extreme poverty, in fact, the, the, the actual text is out of their uh, like bottom of the barrel broken poverty, welled up this generous liberality, this overflowing generosity. How does generosity and a well of generosity come from extreme poverty? How is this possible? Obviously, there's something we're missing about how we understand poverty, how we understand generosity, and how money connects to that. This, uh, this term, this, this, uh, it welled up in generosity, this wealth of liberality, actually has this idea of open-handedness or open-heartedness. One of the ways that Awaken, that we've tried to talk about generosity, and we've tried to actually live into generosity, is we, we say this all the time, that I hold you with an open hand. I don't know if any of you have met with me over coffee or whatever and heard me say that before, uh, but as I think of you, right, we're planting a church here, we could use all the help we can get. So people become a commodity, they be, not a commodity, but a, 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 a valued resource. They become, I mean, if nobody comes, then hey, Awaken's dead, right? Shut the doors, close up shop. How do we live out generosity in the midst of planting this church? My hope and prayer has been, God, we hold you with an open hand and trust that God is involved in a work in this thing. And if you feel that this is the place that you need to be and God has called you, given you a grace for, then awesome. Saddle up. We'll show you the to-do list. If you haven't, then bless you. Literally, like we'll pray for you and bless you as you go. And you find whatever it is that God has for you, whatever grace he has given you. Uh, I met a guy in Chicago. His name was Gerald. And uh, I was a, a high school student. And I went on a mission trip to Chicago. We worked in the inner city of Chicago, a place called uh, Humboldt Park, which is like Watts. or uh, It's terrible. It's really, really, really bad place to be, neighborhood. And we worked in the inner city with this guy named Gerald. And I have never met anyone in my entire life like this man named Gerald, African-American pastor in the inner city of Chicago, who face-to-face, you know, in our country, not in a third-world context, was probably the most hard, uh, uh, had the most difficulty with finances of anybody I've ever met face-to-face. I mean, just dependent on God's grace to survive, to provide for his family. Had no money extra, no extra money. And yet, somehow, Gerald 
of all the people that I've met in my life, as I survey them in, in my mind's eye, arguably the most generous person I've ever been around. He welled up with generosity when you were with him. It was infectious. You couldn't help but catch it. How is this possible? Because generosity is not dependent upon money. Generosity is a posture in our heart. It's a way that we see the world. It's a way that we see the resources we have. It's a way that we see the relationships we have. It's a way that we see the things that we've been given, the passions that we have, the talents that we've been given. It's a way of viewing all of those things, and it's a position, position from which we live, but it does not depend on money. So friends, as you hear us begin this series called Corner, and we're talking about generosity, we're going to talk about money, because money is a huge part of our lives but I want you to hear first and foremost this. Generosity is about your heart. And it's about how you view your relationship with God and how you view your relationship with others and how you view the stuff that you have. The call of Jesus in the world is not 10% to the local church. It's to generously and sacrificially give your life away to the things that God gives you graces for. It's to generously and sacrificially lay down your life for, your, for a friend, for your family members, for people you may not even know. The call of Jesus in the world is not connected to 10% to the local church, but it is way bigger than that. So you're off the hook, but <laughs> you're not really if you follow Jesus. Because the call of Jesus on our lives is so much bigger and deeper and more profound than 10% to the local church. I want to challenge us as a community to, be, to begin to grow and to begin, to begin to allow God to grow our hearts in this area of generosity. I want to just end with a couple of questions that maybe you can ponder, write down, think about. But here's a couple of questions as we close. How can I grow in my ability to be generous with my gifts? How can, how can you grow in your capacity to be generous with the gifts that you have, with the grace you've been given by God? Whether it's, whether it's cash, whether it's a, a home, whether it's uh, relationships, whether it's a, a, just a winsome personality, you know, and hey, how can you invest that? How can you be generous with whatever you've got at your disposal? What are the graces God has given you? What are the specific things that maybe God has tugged your heart for? Is there one? Is there two? Are there, is there something as a family? Pay attention to that. Don't deny that. Don't walk away from that. How can I be generous if I don't have a lot of money? Right? How many of you are thinking that in the room? You don't have to raise your hands. That's awkward. That's what I think of all the time. You know? How can I be, how can Micah, how can I as a person be a generous person without all kinds of extra cash to give away? Other side of the coin. Maybe you have extra cash to give away. How can you be generous? How can you participate in the life of God and the life God intended for you by living generously? Maybe this is a, an ongoing question and conversation we need to have as, a, as people, but how can I be generous when I'm enslaved to debt? That's a tough one. How can I be generous when I have all these things that I need to pay back, but I want to be generous, and I'm bound to these things? That's a, that's a, that's a real question that we need to ask. Friends, as we begin this series and as we begin this journey, I want to continue to challenge us to think about generosity in a larger frame of reference. Uh, 
We're going to talk about money. We're going to talk about this Macedonian church. We're going to study this passage in 2 Corinthians. But this is the direction we're going. And I wanted to start it by saying that generosity is way bigger than 10%. It has, it's so much more profound, so much more impactful. And I think it has to do primarily with our hearts. So let me pray. Uh, Ben's going to come and we'll just close with one, one song. Let's pray together. God, as we uh, <clears throat> wrestle with your scriptures and what you say about the call that you have on our lives, um, it's my hope and prayer that through, uh, maybe through the, even this series and the time that we spend together, that you would begin to, uh, to change our hearts, that you would begin to encourage our hearts, that you would begin to challenge our hearts, uh, that as we live and move and have our being in this world, that people who don't know you, God, would recognize the life of God and the life you intended for humanity as they see generosity overflowing from the lives of the people in this room. God, I pray that for your, for your church in general. God, that the church would be noted for a group of people who just gush generosity, who withhold judgment and just Give where there are needs. Who trust that you're able to exercise judgment and it's not our job and you don't need our help. God, would you give us burdens and graces for certain things that projects, kingdom things that you want to get done through your church or through people in the world. Would you tap our hearts when you know, it's, when you know we're ready and we can give? Would you teach us what it means to live the life of Jesus here and now, one that is sacrificial, one that just wells up with generosity for people who knew him not and who even hated him, who opposed him, and yet he gave of his life. God, may it be so of us that we give of ourselves even to our enemies, that we would take seriously what you say about turning the other cheek and walking the extra mile, that we would live life with open hands. I pray in your name.